Welcome to the Humans Inside the Pods with Morgan O'Learon, a podcast exploring the power of community, one conversation at a time. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Leah Siviak, the co-living consultant. She's a guest experience consultant for co-living communities and a digital nomad herself, and she's been for the past six, seven years. She's passionate about building authentic relationships and living life with intention. Let's just dive right in. Hi, Leah. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really good. Really excited to have you on. Thanks. Yeah, excited to be here. <laughs> Amazing. I knew that I would never go back to a, a desk job after that because it's just you get used to, you know, having that freedom and, and moving and meeting people. And it's just, you know, it's a, an addictive kind of lifestyle to, to be part of something like that. And I think with where, where the co-living part of it comes into it is that living on ships, it's, it's very much like a giant co-living space in itself. You know, you're they're usually about 1500 crew members on each ship and it's a very international group from, you know, almost every country is represented on, on board ships. And, and so you get to know people really well and you're, you know, you're living and working and sharing meals and doing all the things together and you just make these bonds really quickly. And I just, I loved that part of ships, but I knew I didn't want to live on ships forever. So um, yeah, that was kind of where I was able to, to segue into mm-hmm. land life and where co-living kind of filled that void for me as far as I missed the community of ship life, um, but I didn't miss the lifestyle. So, you know, being a digital nomad and having co-living spaces that you can hop around to is, is just the best of both worlds because you have that strong community and those, that, those ties that you have, but the freedom to, to go where you want and, and have more space there. So definitely i'm so i'm like so intrigued by the the boat life like uh, <laughs> i it seems fascinating i see the pros and cons like my problem with co-living is having people leave mm, and yeah. like the idea that on a ship they can't <laughs> they have to stay with me <laughs> forever <laughs> no, obviously not forever i understand yeah. there's a turnover but uh but it also can probably feel a bit claustrophobic or like um there's actually a term for that right it's like the cabin fever thing yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that's more like in the woods cabin fever but I guess you know ship cabin fever you yeah too. <laughs> but yeah yeah it's a it's a definitely a different lifestyle and it's it's exhausting for sure as far as a, from a cruise standpoint you're working seven days a week for six months at a time and it's pretty intense and in, and if you're working in a guest facing position you're you know you're always on so anytime you're off you're still on because they might be exactly. guests coming up to you yeah. to ask questions and want to chat and all of these things so um it's very much you have to have like a I don't know an entertainer's mentality to just always be able to to turn it on like that um which was fun but it's it's very very tiring um and oh, I can way. only imagine and, and yeah and of course you know the, I was in the Caribbean that whole time so it was you know beautiful beaches and all those things and it's it's amazing but it's still you're still you know, in this one very small part of the world, seeing the same things over and over again. So yeah, after a while, you definitely want to to branch out a little bit and, and see more of land life. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Yeah. For everyone else that's jumping on the ship, it's new. And for you, it's like, you know, another week exactly. doing the same thing. <laughs> how, how does that work? Like in terms of like, well, in terms of co-living and on the mm-hmm. boat, like, do you share your room? Do you have your private space? Do you... Do yeah. you do things yourself? Do you, I mean, like the, yeah, cleaning, the cooking, all that? I don't know. <laughs> just no, like... it, it, I mean, it, it all depends on what job you have. Um, but typically, yes, you're sharing a room. You have a roommate in a very small cabin, very small bathroom. You have your own space. 
Um, if you're if you're one of the higher ups, if you're in management, you get your own kind of apartment, but it's still very small quarters. Yeah. But um, in general, no, there's no like <laughs> alone time situation. I mean, there's you know there's a gym and there's a you know places you can go to be by yourself. But for the most part, yeah, you're you're surrounded with with people all all the time. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, so then you left that job and you <laughs> you said you were missing the community. Uh, and so what was your next step? Did you immediately figure out that you could be a digital nomad or was there like no, an in-between yeah. transition? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a transition. I had some family things and I went back to Indiana for a while where I'm from. And then, yeah, it was just, I decided I've, I've always wanted to do the solo travel thing and I had never done it before. So I was like, this is, this is the best time for me to, to try. And so I just booked a flight to London and I, um, I pet sit for people too, as I travel. So um, I was doing a pet sit there over Christmas and it was really fun, but I was also by myself. And um, yeah, then I came to Lisbon and started meeting people through co-living and it was just something clicked for me and that I could do this forever. You know, I could, because co-living gives you the chance to, if you need to step away and like get an Airbnb by yourself for a month, you can do that. But then you can confidently know that you can hop into a co-living space somewhere and have that community piece. So if you get lonely, there's always, <laughs> you know, options for you. And if you want that freedom to be by yourself, you can, you can do that too and do your own thing. So yeah. That's yeah, that's that's the that's what I want. That's what I miss right now. I don't have the community, but I love the the pet sitting. Do you still do that? Because I have a big dog and I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah, it's really. Not, I actually just did a pet sit a couple weeks ago here in in Portugal. I hadn't planned on it, but um, yeah. There's a platform I use um, where you basically you get free accommodation in exchange for watching people's pets. So. Um, yeah, before the pandemic, I was doing just co-living and pet sitting as I wanted. So there were so many pet sets, you could just do it all the time because there were just so many people traveling and you, know, you can go live here for a month and go here for a couple of weeks or whatever. And it was really nice. Oh. But once the pandemic kind of hit, then pet sitting yeah, wasn't really so yeah. much of a thing. <laughs> but, um, but they're starting to pop up. The one I just did a, a couple of weeks ago was really nice. And they've asked me to come back this summer. So Yeah, it's it's really nice because you get that kind of feeling of, of home, you know, when you're in yeah. someone's house and you're taking care of their their space and their animals. It just kind of, I don't know, it just makes it feel like like home away from home. <laughs> That's lovely. I love yeah. that idea. I, did, I never heard of that. That's such a good idea. I might I might look that up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can come watch your dog. <laughs> because we I got a dog kind of I feel like I'm, this is like a pandemic dog. Yeah, uh, I wanted it before the pandemic, but it ha he arrived at the pandemic. And, um, and now I'm like, okay, but what is going to happen when I can travel again? Yeah, I should probably have thought that through before. <laughs> It's all good. <laughs> so here there I are am. pet sitters out there, so yes. have no problems. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, talking about the pandemic, what else? How has that impacted your your lifestyle uh, now? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had to put a pause to things. I um, I guess when the pandemic started in March of last year, I was in London and it, it just, things were so iffy. I wasn't sure whether I should stay and stick it out. I couldn't, you know, at that point you couldn't tell whether it was going to be a short-term thing or, or how long it was going to last. So yeah, I ended up when they started with the travel bans going back to uh, my hometown in the US. So I stayed there for most of last year until I was able to to head back to London um, last fall. And so, yeah, I've been kind of 
in London since then. And then I got to Portugal a couple months ago. So kind of, I guess it's just made me stay in places longer than I did before. And that, you know, I was in London for five months here for as long as they'll let me stay here <laughs> and, uh, and then move around that way. Whereas before I might've, you know, hopped and done two weeks here and two weeks there. It's, it's definitely more of a stay as long as I'm allowed to stay on my visa until I move. So. And do you feel that impacts your experience of community? The fact that you're staying longer? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I think the longer that you stay, the, the more ingrained you are in the culture and the people and the easier it is to, to form those real solid relationships. So, you know, there's some pluses and minuses to it, for sure. I'm definitely not able to get to as many different spaces I as I would like to, but staying longer in the ones that I am able to, so. Mm. Yeah. I still haven't, uh, I've only experienced co-living in a, in a long-term house. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm super curious, and I think that's what I'm going to do as soon as I'm able, is to to experience the shorter term ones, because um, I've got to be honest, I've always been kind of like adamant that no, co-living has to be long term. But now the more <laughs> I, I read and the more I learn about it, I realize that I'm wrong, that there can be so many different flavors of co-living. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm actually very, very curious to to experience the, the, the shorter term ones and see what comes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like there people are so good at the community building part of things that it's amazing, like how strong these bonds can be when you've only known people a couple of weeks, like when you're living with people and you're experiencing the world and, you know, trying new things and being out of your element, it just it bonds you so much in a, such a quicker way than if you, you know, lived in London and met your friends, you know, that lived across town once every month or something. It would take, you know, a year to form the bonds that you have make in just a two weeks in a, in a co-living space. So I oh think that's God, the yes. part to me and is that you can just, yeah, like some people I met here several years ago and I've not seen them since, but they're still some of my best friends, you know, because even in the two week period, you know, you form those, those things. And I talk to them all the time and it's just, it's interesting how you can just kind of expedite that whole process of relationships. And it was the same thing on ships. Like they used to, in both friendships and relationships, they would say, you know, a month of, you know, having a boyfriend or girlfriend on ship life is like a year in real life because they just, everything moves quickly and it just, time feels so much more, so much yeah. different. It's so true. It's actually so interesting. We were, I was just having this conversation with another friend that I met in my co-living in Stockholm. And I was texting her because I've been in London. I moved to London exactly as the country locked down. So I've been in lockdown for a year. And yeah. I, let's let's just put it as it is. I have zero friends here. Yeah. And so it gets extremely lonely and very difficult. And so I was texting that friend and I was like, just randomly like, how do I make friends? I don't I don't remember how one makes friends, you know, mm -hmm. because I've lived in a house with 50 people for three years. And she was like, yeah. Yeah, we've been talking about that with my partner and he was saying that it's so hard, the, the amount of effort you have to put in to make a new friend the, the normal way. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and you meet that person for coffee maybe like once a week or maybe top twice a week without feeling like you're, you're, you're sounding too needy. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it takes so long. He said, I, I don't even see the... The point like I don't want to put in the effort I just want to <laughs> I want to move back into a co-living and I <laughs> I feel exactly that I'm like I don't think I have what it takes to to go through a normal 
process of making a friend right now because I think I'll appear so needy and demanding to be very close right away <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and it, that's so so true it's just the time it takes to form relationships in real life in, in the normal everyday life it's so much longer of a process like if you're new to a city and you're just moving in you know somewhere by yourself and you don't know anybody it's just like maybe you met somebody at yoga and like a month later you work up the courage to say hey do you want to go to coffee with me and then two weeks later you find the spot and then you know it just goes on and on and on and people are busy and it will take you an entire year to make you know one yeah. solid connection it's exactly. just so frustrating especially in london i struggle in london more than anywhere else in the world as far as making friends it's just almost impossible i think okay that's reassuring <laughs> no <laughs> No, but I also think, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I also think that we overthink things. So I'm always like, okay, we've, I've met that person. Maybe I should wake up even as almost as if it was a relationship you know? <laughs> I know. before I text them. So I don't sound crazy. Is it okay to invite them for breakfast? Is it weird? So many like unspoken rules, I guess. Like, yep. I think in co-living, all that goes through out the window because you're you don't ask to go for breakfast you're at breakfast and yes. people are there <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah and i think that one of the best things about co-living is that it draws in people who are sociable and that they want to be a part of something and so sometimes it's hard to gauge you know some people are introverts and they might be cool with you know going to coffee once every six months <laughs> but but the people who go into co-living go there because they want to be a part of real genuine relationships and you know can make those connections and so when you have a group of people who all want the same thing it's just it just is so natural it just works you know that way yeah uh, I love that you said genuine and um, I think that's something because yeah we realized as we went on that we actually don't know each other but I feel like I I know you because I've been following you for a while and you attended a, a conference that we organized with Co-Living Hub and yeah I've seen a few things that you've done and wrote about we seem to share that and I think a lot of people working in co-living that this really st strong passion for genuine and authentic uh, communities and like, I think recently you wrote about serendipity, which is a, a, a word and a concept that I love. And you also had something about like couples and co-living. So all those things that are like real questions around like, how do we make co-living something that works for the long run? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's so many, I just think that the whole concept is so interesting to me about, you know, community and, and how you can kind of create environments that people want to be part of and that they're more likely to you know engage with each other and that's kind of like the serendipity thing and that it's not about forcing community on a group of people it's about you know providing environments for it to thrive so you know the best the best experiences that you have in your life are the ones that are unplanned and it just feels like co-living just creates all these little mini opportunities for connections and for like memories and all these experiences that you couldn't plan even if you you know had the time to to meet with all of your friends and create okay we're going to dinner here here and here but with co-living it just it's natural whenever you have an environment like that for things to pop up and for people to mm -hmm. provide experiences and and things like that so it's yeah it's interesting and one one thing and i'm sure i mean i assume that that's maybe your understanding of that as well is that how do you make something that seems effortless uh, I mean, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort to make something seem effortless. That's kind of what I always say. And like, what would you say is important to 
yeah, to create an environment where those things seem to pop up, but actually there's groundwork that has been done so people feel comfortable coming up with ideas. Absolutely. What would you be your like key um, yeah. aspects yeah. of things to think about? Mm -hmm. With um, I guess with co-living in general, I, I do consulting work and my main focus is on uh, implementing hospitality best practices into co-living and creating community. So I think the sort of groundwork that spaces have to do is to make it so that all of the things that people take for granted, you know, the welcome process, the, you know, how are they integrated into the group, um, that they're very thoughtful pieces, specifically with the onboarding, like the way you arrive at a space is so important and the way that people welcome you and the way that, you know, they're, you're integrated into the space in general. So those little bits are kind of more important and they're things that people wouldn't necessarily notice that you're doing. Um, but it's like, you know, if, if you show up at a space and everyone else already has their click and they're already doing their own thing and you kind of feel like an outsider, like it's hard for you to get into that space and you might eventually get there where you need to be, but the people who do the, the onboarding and community building part well, they, they can recognize that and you can sense you know, when someone doesn't feel welcome and appreciated. So it's kind of making a, a community of people that are, that are welcoming in general, but to integrate them intentionally from the get-go to, to make that work. So yeah, just putting mm. thought into that process is so important because some people do think it, it comes natural, you know, that like, oh, we're, let's have a co-living space and everyone's just gonna, you know, love each other and it'll be fine. But it's a matter of streamlining all the processes and taking out all the little bumps along the way to make it work to make it gel yeah oh definitely i uh i had been living in my co-living for three years and my sister found herself having to move somewhere and i said oh my god you have to do co-living mm -hmm. like you have to it's going to change your life and so i was in Stockholm. she's in france and she was like okay she looked some stuff up she found one close to where she is and she moved in and then she was like, uh, it's nothing like you're telling me. <laughs> like, it, I don't understand. I see your Instagram and it looks nothing like your life. Like, why is it so different? And so we talked about it a lot. And I think it came down to that, that the, the processes in place were not at all what we had. And they were more like almost like a hotel. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I don't think if you... Yeah, in a co-living, you don't want to feel like you're a hotel guest. You want to feel at home. And it's a tricky like line to because you do offer extra services and stuff like that. But how to where to when to know if you're going too far in the servicing that you take away this kind of like empowerment for the guest that becomes a resident. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's kind of that's the fine line there because there are so many co-living spaces that are opening that don't get the community aspect of it. And so they do run it more as a hotel, especially some of the bigger ones back, you know, in the U S from what I've, I've heard, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to hear that of other spaces as well, because it's just that part of it is, is so important to get right. The part where people think of it as a community and are empowered to create their own events and to do their own things. And mm -hmm. so part of it, I think, we always talk about it in co-living, like the top-down approach versus the bottom-up approach. And, and the top-down approach would be like how we worked on cruise ships where we would have an event schedule and, you know, this is what you do and you show up at this and we will lead it for yeah. you. And that's great 
if that's, you know, if you're at a hotel or a cruise ship or whatever, but when you're in a co-living space, like you have to empower your residents to take ownership of the space and create that sense of community themselves. And so to do that, you kind of have to get them involved in the process and leading yeah. their own events and doing their own things. So I think that's mm. kind of the key. If, if you're doing a top-down approach, then it's hard to not feel like a hotel because yeah. you don't have people who are really invested in the space and who really care about, you know, the people in it. And, it, and that's what keeps people staying, you know, it's the community piece. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with how you communicate from the start. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it, I was talking about that with oh, Leah. Her name is also Leah uh, <laughs> from Poor House. Poor House. I can't say that. Right. Uh, and we were saying the importance of using uh, specific specific vocabulary. So if you if you call your residents clients or customers, oh, yeah. uh, you completely like put them in a different category. And if you call them resident or members, you're mm -hmm. yeah, it it, send, it sends another message. So yeah, ev everything you do, the way you communicate, is is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Definitely. so true. <laughs> where would where would be your um, because you've been to several places. So what is for you so far the best uh, onboarding experience that you've had? Oh, gosh. Um, I really like how they do things at um, Sun & Co. in Javia. I bring them up all the time. But have you been to Sun & Co.? No, but I've heard so much about them. I feel like <laughs> I, I have know. to. <laughs> you have to. They're, they're so good there. They're just, I mean, part of it is that their team is just so welcoming and sweet and kind. Like, you can't help but love them. But it's just the way they do things is that they, you know, people arrive at the space and they'll very quickly have something that integrates them to the group. You know, there might be a community dinner or some sort of thing, and then they do um, weekly family meetings. So everyone kind of sits around and they discuss what they want to do this week. You know, they do a lot of skill shares as far as, you know, who, who can teach this, what can I teach? What can I learn? Those sort of things. And so it gets people involved. So they, they mm -hmm. come up with a schedule of events, but it's all led by people in the community. So, um, and, and you know that ahead of time, I think all of their messaging ahead of time is like, be thinking of, you know, what you can teach and what you want to learn because, you know, at our family meeting, we're going to discuss this, this, and this. And, and it works. It works really well because they can, they have a great team there who's very great at, you know, managing events, but they don't have to be at every single one, you know, because mm. the, the community itself leads those things. And, and it's really why people come to that space. You know, I think one of the cool things about co-living, especially in the rural areas is that it, it just proves that it's all about community because, you know, no, mostly people wouldn't, I mean, Javi is a, a beautiful space and it's a gorgeous little town, but it's not someplace I would have just happened upon, you know, when yeah. like I looked it up and said, I'm going to go to this little town in the middle of, you know, these cities. But I went there because I heard that the community was so great. And so yeah. I, it's interesting to see that like all these places popping up, especially in rural Europe um, and that people just go because they know they're going to meet people that are like-minded and that they're going to, you know, establish these relationships no matter where it is in the world. So it's, it's yeah. really cool how, how that draw that's there. Yeah, it all comes down to the people, right? It's, uh, yeah. I remember when I was, okay, much younger, I got uh, the option to go study in the U.S. and that was my dream like from watching the movies <laughs> and um, I remember my teacher saying okay we have an agreement with this university in Arkansas and I was like Arkansas what the hell 
didn't know, I didn't know where that was. I had to take no, a map of the U.S. and I was like, okay, Arkansas. And then I found it. I was like, whoa, okay. I don't, I don't remember any movies being made there. Okay. Uh, and then I ended up spending an amazing like seven months, I think it was. Because the people I met there were absolutely fabulous and I had the best time. And now, like it was 15 years ago and I'm still telling everyone like, yeah, I went to the US, it was amazing. And people are like, where? Arkansas, Arkansas, <laughs> why? <laughs> why would you go there? Like, because the people are amazing. So yeah, I, can, uh, I think if you, yeah, it doesn't really matter where you are as long as you have with you people that bring out the best in you and just come up with amazing stuff to do together mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's like anytime you can have experiences with people that you can't have anywhere else that's that's really the the key you mm. know it doesn't matter where you are you could be in arkansas <laughs> <laughs> i think i've only driven through arkansas i've never actually stayed <laughs> i would never in my life have gone i guess ever but yeah it was fun it was a lot of fun that's amazing <laughs> one thing that comes up a lot when mentioning co-living to people who are not into that mm -hmm. is like oh my god privacy oh my god conflict like what are your like um tools to kind of like feel like you have some privacy and to also maybe defuse is that the word diffuse Def uh -huh. yeah diffuse like conflict. conflict yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess to people, I, I think most people who are concerned with privacy have never experienced co-living because for the most part, you, it's always a mix of private and, you know, and public spaces. So I've never stayed at a space where I felt like I didn't have my own area where I didn't feel like I could step away. And I think another great part is that everybody's in the same boat as you. So like everyone recognizes that you don't want to be together all the time, 24 hours a day. Like it's okay to, to take your time away. And whereas like with my normal friends, if I said, eh, like, I don't really feel like going out tonight, they'd be like, what? Like, this is our one chance to go out. And whereas with co-living, like you're going out all the time, you know, there are always opportunities to do things. So if you want to step back and not participate in something, no one ever calls you out on it because you know, they know that you need your own space and it's, they respect those boundaries for the most part. So I think that's, that's kind of, I've, I've never had a problem with privacy and co-living spaces for one. Mm. Um, yeah. And as far as conflict goes, I've, I personally have not come across conflict in my own personal uh, experiences, but I know other spaces have, and you just have protocols in place and it's mostly just, you know, making people feel heard and making sure that they feel confident or comfortable coming to you with problems. That's kind of the main thing is to, to make sure your team is open and accepting to hear those sort of things because conflict occurs whenever, you know, there's an issue and then it just keeps getting worse and worse until it doesn't get handled. And as long as you can kind of, you know, create a space that feels, open and respectful, then, um, then people are, are more likely to, to come to solutions for the most part. Um, but yeah, sometimes there are always occasions, you know, where, where the team needs to step in and do their thing. But, but for the most part, I think, yeah, co-living just, just tends to draw in people who, who, I don't know, who are just a little more understanding of the group dynamics and that they're, they're more, I don't know, intuitive that way. Or so I found yeah. with my own personal personal experiences, you'll always have, you know, personalities that don't quite mix. But I think another part is in, is in branding the space and like knowing what types of people are there and coming up with a system for 
drawing in people who are more likely to be compatible in the first place. Um, and a lot of the times, especially with like, the digital nomad spaces, it's like, there's just so much in common already, like having people who want to be part of a community who love travel and love new experiences and food. And a lot of them are in like specific areas that are good for hiking or surfing or whatever. And so you have all these common, you know, commonalities already that it's, it's cool that the people just tend to gel a little more than if you were just throwing a random group of people together and hoping they, the, for the best, you know, yeah. so that part of it already is kind of, kind of there, but yeah, yeah. no, I understand. What about you? Have you had any like personality um, issues or? I mean, not me personally. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe someone listening is going to be like, yeah, we have had. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I can't remember me fighting with someone, but we've had, I mean, the thing is, in the house I was in, people stayed for a minimum of six months up to four years. So you're, you're like, of course, there's going to be moments where yep. it's getting too much for, for everyone. Like, but um, yeah, like you're saying. So I think the people that moved into the house, they knew or they learned really fast, which was, I think, my case. I don't think I was very open-minded <laughs> when I first moved in. But I, I learned really fast that I had to be, to become. And, and so, yeah, most of us, we were just like, okay, we understand that we're not going to be best friends with everyone in the house. It's not possible. And it's not even like needed. You can still live with someone without having to like be best friends. And so there was that. And then we knew that there was going to be situations that we can't handle on our own. And then we had appointed two people in the house who, house who were kind of like mediators. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we needed to, we, we knew we could go to them in privacy and stuff like that. Um, I don't think it ever escalated to the point where we had to figure out something else. Mm -hmm. um but yeah I mean it's easy to say now because first of all I'm not in the house anymore and like you know <laughs> with time you only remember the good stuff yeah but uh, I like to think that even in the times of conflicts we really felt like we were learning a lot so we mm -hmm. were a self-run community so we didn't have like a managing team mm -hmm. and so we had house meetings every month well they still do and and I think for me, those were the most fascinating moments because you sit in a, you know, in a living room for two hours with like 30 people and you have to speak up and like explain your position. And most of the time, a lot of people disagree with you. And I've never had to kind of like do that before. I mean, in school, I would shut up as much as I could unless <laughs> I was asked to speak. Yeah. And then I kind of like, you know, finished high school and university without really having to defend anything yeah. that I believed in. So this was like school, like school of life for me. And um, yeah, it was an amazing learning experience. So even when people did disagree with me, I was probably kind of grumpy for a couple of hours afterwards, but the next day I was already like, okay, it's cool. I've learned, you know? So mm -hmm. I love that. I miss that so much because I only <laughs> disagree with myself right now. And it's yeah. not as exciting. Oh goodness. We need to get you a community. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm actively looking, but, um, Goodness. Or are you in, so are you in London long-term or? <clears throat> I think so. I mean, it's been a year now. Uh, it feels like forever. Um, yeah, I, I, my partner is British, so it was kind of like the plan. We met in Sweden, but, and okay. uh, my, my condition to move here was to move into a community and then the pandemic happened. So we're like, oh. okay, we're just going to stay where we are. 
Yeah. And we got a dog, so it's even more complicated. <laughs> we'll see. Oh how that gosh, goes. I wish I would have known you were there when I when I was there. Yeah, I, was I didn't realize. Too. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we're more actually. This goes well with my my next question, but I think we're more looking into co-housing actually at the moment. Nice. I think we've we've both kind of evolved towards. Uh, we still def definitely want community. Like we miss that. Uh, a lot uh, but I think we want to start a project with people and all the people uh, as I said I don't really know anyone but all the people that my partners know are like couples or couples who just got a baby and I think everyone is kind of wanting their own house mm -hmm. or apartment but still wanting to have something as a group together so we're looking into this type of projects nice yeah i'm really interested in you know multi-generational and mm. family type co-living i think that's i mean i think there's just so many different ways to do it and i it's just so smart to bring to bring that into the the picture because people you know they don't stop wanting to be part of a community just because you know they have husband or girlfriend boyfriend kids whatever it's like it's you always want that and and yeah. same with age you know you don't suddenly reach an age where you know, co-living or living with cool people sounds like a terrible idea, you know? So I, yeah, I just yeah almost, almost a contrary almost, right? Because like, okay, I don't have a kid, but I, I just assume looking at my friends that it can become quite isolating. Like mm -hmm. you, you have to take care of this life on your own. Uh, yep. where, why? Whereas you could like share <clears throat> sorry share that experience with me any people around you have people mm -hmm. giving you tips and advice like do babysitting next door and uh you can learn so much from like older people and younger people and why do we have to fit in boxes all, on our own right so yeah. definitely think that actually as you grow older you want more and more of that it's just that you might want it on your own terms so you don't maybe you're not ready to share like a shoebox anymore, which is completely understandable. Um, but you still want to share something. Yep. So I'm, I'm really excited to look into this type of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> how about you? How do you see like, post, hopefully post pandemic? How do you see your your your, your life? Do you? I, sorry, are you going to continue like being more more nomadic and going back to like staying a few weeks here and there or do you have other plans or yeah I haven't quite decided yet I mean I would like to I definitely won't be doing a few weeks here and there it'll, it'll be more longer term stays mm. um, but I'm keep going back and forth on I really love Europe and I'm going back and forth whether I want to just apply for residency and you know have a home base probably here in Lisbon or keep hopping around like I, I if it weren't for visa restrictions, I would continue doing what I was doing, but it just gets kind of hard being able to be in Europe for 90 days at a time. And then you have to, you know, go right. somewhere else. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of hopping around. So we'll see, you know, if travel opens up toward the end of this year and, and looks a little bit better, then I'll probably keep doing what I'm doing. Um, like doing like in the UK, I can stay there for six months of the year and then okay. stay in the rest of Europe for 90 out of every 180 days. This is too much visa information for you, but it's good um, to know. <laughs> I forget so, that I'm not in Europe anymore. Yeah. So yeah. Well, for, well, it was like that before that, before Brexit anyway, but it was for me, it worked out and that I could, you know, spend a few months in London and then spend a few months in the rest of Europe and then go back and forth. Um, but we'll see if it's, if it feels more like having a settled home base and being able to hop around from that base feels better or if 
or if I'll keep doing what I'm doing. But mm. I don't know. I really loved what I was doing. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see. Oh, I can imagine. Um, is there anything else that you feel like we should have dived into that we haven't really touched Gosh, upon? I don't know. I think we, we covered quite a bit of ground. <laughs> yeah, we've jumped from topic to topic. But yeah, I think uh, I think I can ask my last question. Sure, uh, that I ask it. everyone, which is uh, what makes a home for you? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, the people, the people make a home a home, you know, like it's it's just that feeling of being welcome. Like I said, like appreciated and like being part of a group, you know, there's just something so special about connection and these genuine relationships that you form that makes anywhere feel like home, which is what makes, you know, what I'm doing hopping around as a nomad so much more sustainable in the long term. Like people ask, like, aren't you tired of, you know, moving so much, but whenever you can hop in and out of home all the time, home being, you know, a group of people that are supportive and, you know, connected, then it doesn't feel like you're hopping around. It feels like it feels more grounded. So yeah, home is where the people are. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm thinking of like the people who are like introverts who must be like, what? <laughs> I know, I know. No, but I fully, I fully understand. I fully agree. I, I think uh, I always thought I was an introvert until I moved into the co-living I was in. And then I realized that I'm actually powered by people. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, it's good to know. It's good to learn about yourself. Like, <laughs> you, Right. I mean, you just learn so much about yourself and, and with co-living and, you know, traveling on your own. And there's just so many things that you would never know if you had just stayed in in one spot and with one or by yourself forever so yeah yeah that's amazing try it <laughs> <laughs> go for it <laughs> thank you so much leah this was super fun i really You're enjoyed welcome. this yeah we should meet up sometime and yes life. <laughs> no definitely if you're ever back uh in london and uh if i can ever get out of here oh, <laughs> like, well, i hope so for your sake <laughs> That was the Humans Inside the Pods with Morgan O'Learon. Make sure to join our mailing list so you don't miss an episode. Link in our bio.